This morning we come to an interesting title, A Christian or an Antichrist, and we're going to see where that comes from here in 1 John. But as we do, um, I want you to notice a guy that's on the screen in front of you. Does anybody know who this guy is? What is his name? Edward R. Murrow. Some of you know that name. Some of you do not know that name at all. Edward R. Murrow was an award-winning journalist, and he was a journalist as a very young man during World War II. Um, here in the United States, and then he became a journalist, and he was always known for just really just getting to the bottom line of the story, and unlike today, um, he was known for not putting his bias very much. He tried not to do that. He tried to just tell the facts. You know, journalism used to do that. Um, it used to just put it out there and let you decide, uh, but we don't do that anymore. Everything we get is pretty filtered. Um, but Edward R. Murrow was a relentless pursuer of the news. And when it came after World War II and then other things went on in Korea, and then when it came to Vietnam and he was covering Vietnam, he had an interesting statement that applies to us this morning um, in many different ways. But uh, notice what he says here. Anyone who isn't confused doesn't really understand the situation. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that insightful? Anyone who isn't confused doesn't really understand the situation. You know, there's a lot of times in life where we have a lot of confusion, a lot of things in life. Um, in fact, uh, when we think about this and we look at the issue of confusion, um, it's all around us. Um, I mean, we've just prayed for and talked about the issue regarding Afghanistan. I mean, this is a, this is a hot one that's in, in front of us right now. When we think about Afghanistan, we think about um, the events of this last week and the, really the last two weeks, anybody that was kind of, but it's so fast that this came to such tremendous failure. Um, and, and, I, and I think about the, the video images of this week um, from the news, from um, Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of Defense, and Mark Milley, our Joint Chief, and Joe Biden. I mean, these images before us are, are all about confusion and debacle. I mean, over the last eight months, while the Joint Chiefs and uh, by Secretary of Defense were very worried about cultural issues within the military and very much societal, moral things, um, everything from promoting uh, transgender and transsexual inter integration into the military to um, uh, purporting all of the virtues of uh, critical race theory and various other things that are very cultural and societal. The Taliban was out running around in Afghanistan, overtaking village after village after village, and discovered they could get away with anything because we were not watching what was happening. Instead of us paying attention to this, there came about tremendous confusion. This is because the world is confused from societal issues to what makes sense even militarily. So regarding the Afghan debacle, there's been confusion. What about this next one? I mean, we have experienced for the last 18 months the confusion regarding the COVID-19 maelstrom, this storm of confusion, a whirlpool of confusion. 
And, I mean, what is hysterical about this, and there's never been a time in history that I remember when there's been such conflicting information. I mean, one report comes out that says, do this, and the next report comes out that says, don't do that. And all the data points to this until all the data points to 180 degrees of that. I mean, these images, even from WPLT, I just put in confusion COVID-19, and this graphic showed up from WPLG. Don't wear a mask, wear a mask. I mean, I mean just one thing after another. So the confusion, the the absolute change in false information of that. Well, let me tell you, it's not just COVID-19, but what about this next one? Regarding true Christianity. The question of true Christianity and the confusion over that is not just in this day and time. But first John was written to a people and to a church, to the churches, the the church big C, um, to the church that was confused over some issues. And so John was writing to them to help them not be confused. Because you see, false teachers had come in and things had changed societally. Remember with me, The Apostle John is the last eyewitness standing. He's the last one. So we've had, you know, 60 years of the church growing after the Lord Jesus had ascended into heaven. So think about that with me. We have at least one generation, really two generations of people that are growing in Christianity. And over that period of time, even we see at the start, in the first decade, we started to see that there were false teachings that were coming out here and coming out here, popping up over here. And there would have to be questions. There would have to be clarifications. And that's part of what we see. Now, what is very interesting is is that God chose to close the New Testament around that time. And, And it's because they had dealt with everything that we need to hear. There's no going to be nothing new under the sun. There's going to be really no new attacks that haven't already attacked the truth from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so by God giving us 1 John, we get to see the the clarification of Christianity. You see, enough time had gone by that people could say, oh yeah, everybody in our village believes in Jesus. Our whole area has accepted Christ. But yet... Not everyone was acting like they believed in Jesus. So were they Christians or were they not Christians? You see, that's not only happening now in this day and time, but that was happening before the apostles were all gone. And so this is why this is so helpful to us. This is why this is an encouragement to us that 1 John is dealing with this issue of clarification. So the Apostle John is writing, next slide there, good. The Apostle John is writing to clear things up. He answers some key questions. This isn't on your outline, just look at the screen. Notice this. First of all, he's answering this question, what is a real Christian? He's really dealing with that. That's a lot of what 1 John is all about. What is a real Christian? Because there were not real Christians. Just like in this room. Same issue today, 2,000 years later. Look at the next thing here. How do you know if you are one? He's writing so you can know. And he says, he uses the word, 
so that you can know. This is a key theme. It keeps showing up over and over again. We see the word know, that you can know, come up several times in 1 John, and that's some very key points. So if you would, just kind of notice here, and let's review for very quickly. The chapter 1, verse 5, is really the central premise of the whole thing, and I want you to read what's in quotes and italicize there under that main point there in chapter 1 in perhaps the, is perhaps the central premise of the entire letter. If you don't get anything out of 1 John, you need to get this statement. And let's read it out loud together. Look what it says. This is the message that we have heard. Okay, that's very, very weak. Um, Y'all are trying to figure out where I am. Uh, Under the review, look what it says in verse 5 there, chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, this is the message. Let's read out loud. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. And he, he has no darkness whatsoever. So, so far as we've been studying this, and notice on the right-hand side are all the passages. These are the sermons where we've been. I'm going to glide through them very quickly. Notice this. So far, the Apostle John wants you to know the reality and the centrality of Christ in all things. That's the introduction. That Jesus is, is real and he is center of everything. He wants you to know what we just read. This is verse 5. The perfect nature of God. That God is perfectly good. And if you would only get one thing today, only one thing today, leave this place knowing that God is perfectly good. There is no injustice in Him. There is no darkness in Him. That truth God can use to lead your heart to come to know who He is. That He is good. Notice this, John wants us to know that sinful nature, the sinful nature of humanity, that we are not good and that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And notice this, the forgiven nature of those, for those who are in Christ, the beautiful promises of God's forgiveness. This is a key part of 1 John. And then notice the next one, it is possible for true Christians to have Christ's victory over sin. Sometimes the devil convinces us we simply cannot overcome this. And what we see in 1 John is that through Christ we have the victory over our sin. This is God's work in us, part of our salvation and sanctification. Notice the next one, true Christians have true love for God and others. So now we're getting down to what is a true Christian? It's someone who loves God, truly loves God, and loves others. Now, what is not a Christian? Those who hate others are not true Christians. You say, well, I don't hate them. I just, you know, I have no use for them. I don't like them. I I won't talk to them. I won't forgive them. I I will hold my grudge against them, but, but I don't hate them. Everybody go, wrong. That's not what that means. I mean, you know, the picture is how we treat others. If, if you have either groups of people or individuals in your life that you will not forgive, that you will not reconcile, that you will not seek to be at peace with them and, and in fact, allow the love of Christ to care for them, it would indicate that you hate them. 
And that would indicate what? You're not a Christian. First John, look, First John says this over and over again. And that's very important for the church to recognize. That's very important for this place to recognize that that kind of attitude is not Christian, both in this family and outside of this family. And so this can cause us rightly to evaluate our hearts before God. Notice the, the next two. True Christians find all their encouragement in Christ. And true Christians, here's another key indicator Clearing up the confusion, true Christians do not love the, what word did we use there? The fleeting world. What do we mean by the fleeting world? This is the world that's a vapor that is simply going away. So if you, if you set your heart upon the things of this world and the values of this world and the materials of this world, the status of this world, the security of this world, let me just tell you that all of that is going to pass away. And this is exactly what 1 John is saying. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is telling us what a true Christian is and what a true Christian is not. There are masses of churches this morning, myriads of churches meeting this morning here in America where many, many people that are sitting in pews, listening to music, maybe singing music, and listening to messages, and their hearts are set on the world, and they think by their presence they're doing God a favor. My friends, this letter is written against that. It's saying if you've set your heart upon the world, understand you don't know God and he doesn't know you. Man, that's so clear in 1 John. Don't, Don't overlook it. Now, last time we looked at this. When we come to this box of Scripture that we have from last message in 1 John and this morning, we now, notice the statement, we now, now, John soberly warns true Christians about the Antichrist, and fill it in, among them. It's not just, you say, well, wait a minute, the Antichrist, there's one Antichrist and he's coming at the end, right? No, First John makes clear, as well as other places, and the Lord Jesus himself, he talked about the fact that there are those who are against him, and it's not just that they're in the world, But listen to this. They're in the church. And we see this evidenced more and more and more as the time draws near. Notice this, that they are in every generation. They are in every generation. They have been in every generation since John wrote this and even the generation before. Notice this, that they ultimately and unwittingly, sometimes unwittingly, serve the Antichrist who is to come. So they, yes, they they may be in their own issues of wrong belief, disbelief, false belief, but they are ultimately serving the purposes of the Antichrist to come. And notice this last one, the third one. They are seen for what they are when they leave the body of Christ. When they leave him, when they leave us, 
it becomes evident of who they are. Many of you have wondered about people who have turned their back upon the Lord. They've turned away from the life of the church and they've turned away from the gospel. They may in lip service say, oh no, I still believe, but their life really indicates otherwise with the values that they have accepted, the decisions that they have made, the affections of their heart, what they live their life for is no longer the kingdom of Christ. It's the kingdom of their own lust. It's the kingdom of their own desires. It's the kingdom of their own values, not His. So when we come to this passage, we need to see again the great picture that we are giving, being given a tremendous warning, and this tremendous warning is part of the great clarification letter of 1 John. So let's read the passage, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to break it down and see a couple of things from it. Um, look at verse 18. Children, he writes to them because he's older now, he's in his 90s, and he sees them affectionately as his children. Children, it is the last hour. You remember we talked about the last hour is this whole era that we are now in from Christ to Christ's return, from Christ's first coming to his second coming. So it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so, underline it, so now many Antichrists have come. We need to remember that. And this was written 2,000 years ago. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of, of, of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. You see, there was a purpose in them going out. God's sovereignty rules over this, and we see the purpose. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. So here's the contrast. There are several of those contrasts in the New Testament. One of them, it says, uh, it goes through a list of great sins, and it says, but this was the case as some of you were, but no longer. You've been washed in the blood. You've been sanctified. You have been saved from him. And that same contrast is right here. There's these who claimed Christ, and then they went out from us, verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge, verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar but one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? What does Christ mean? Right above it anointed one. So here he's saying, verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 21, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Can you circle the word abide? It's a very key word in this letter and in much of Jesus' teaching. Let it abide in you. Put out there to the side, remain. That's what it means. It means to remain. 
So this word is to abide in you. It's to remain in you. It's to stay with you. Middle of verse 24. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will what? Abide in the Son and in the Father. Wow. And verse 25, this is the promise that he has made to us. Circle it. Eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that. Look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Can you underline that whole verse? I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, there is and is no lie, just as it was taught to you, abide in him. Look at the very bottom of the page. Notice verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, You see, true Christians, fill it in, must realize the constant, insidious nature of Satan's seduction. Satan has always been seducing. He is doing everything he can to seduce God's creation away from him. This is the nature of the adversary. This is the nature of the father of lies. This is the nature of the deceiver. That's what he does. Notice this, from the beginning in the Garden of Eden to the end of the last days, Satan is anti-Christ. what? He is against Christ. That's what, don't flip it over yet, look at that and think about that. This is what Satan is. He is anti-Christ. And so all that comes as a part of his deception is against the Messiah. Okay, let's look and let's see. So on the next page, page two, we're going to look at the characteristics of Antichrist and then flip over and look at page three, we're going to look at the characteristics of true Christians. So that's where we're going over the next few minutes. Um, We're going to look at the characteristics of the Antichrist, and then we're going to look at the characteristics of true Christians. And why are we doing this? It's because John is trying to clear up the confusion. He doesn't want you to be confused. He didn't want them to be confused in their day and time with all of these other teachers, all of these other distractions away from the true word of God that were coming in, that people were believing, people were hearing all of these variant theologies, divergent things from the basic true gospel, and many of them were starting to believe them. And then listen to this, and some of them were leaving the church. And they would, there would be false leaders, and they would bring away false believers. They would leave the church, and then the people who are left are sitting there going, man, did we miss it? Are we wrong? You see, they didn't necessarily know that those things were false. That's why this is being written. Because they're sitting there going, man, could all those people be wrong? I mean, it looked so good. It sounded so good. I mean, I liked what they were saying better than maybe what we've been hearing. What we've been hearing is hard. Were they right? Well, if that many people went, then they must be right. 
You know, to that issue, my dad always said, son, he would tell my brother and my sister and I, you guys just figure out where the crowd is going and head the other direction. And in a fallen world, that's the best thing to do. In a fallen world, when everybody's saying, this is right, you need to go, hmm, probably not. So it doesn't matter what everybody else, what, that was one of the worst things you could ever say to my dad. Dad, everybody's doing it. I mean, why? And he, that, it was over at that point. You never said that to Clell Coleman. Notice this, the characteristics of the Antichrists. And in verse 9, we, verse 19, excuse me, we started off there. And we've already read this, and we looked at it a little bit last week, but I want to water it in here and for us to really get it and see it. Look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. So number one is Antichrist depart from the fellowship of the true gospel. That's really what they do in the long run. Now they may be in for a while, but eventually, by God's grace, they break away. And notice this, they either grow up within the church or they enter the church and seek to sabotage it with their false teaching and or their exaltation of themselves. Right out there to the side, the book of Jude. Because that's the, really the picture of these false prophets, false leaders coming in, false pastors coming in and leading people away from the true gospel. That's not only the book of Jude, you can go back to Jesus' own words. Jesus said, I'm going to go and the wolves are going to come in among you that is going to happen. So they, and it, and it can be people who grow up and look like it. You know, just because I grew up at this church, just because some of you, yes, there is the pastor's diaper club here of women that's still around that claim, yeah, I changed the diaper, that's awkward. But um, I, you know, just because I grew up here, that doesn't mean that you should believe what I say. Just because I've been known around here for a long time, has, that, that, should, that should not be the test of whether you believe what I say. The test of whether you ought to believe what I say, it, oh my goodness, sorry about that, throwing Bibles, um, is this word. This is the test. And it's not the paper and ink. It's the truth that this contains. This is, the, this is the plumb line. This is the test. Is it biblical or is it not biblical? That is the question. And that is the issue that falsehood comes in. False teaching. And why? Exaltation of self over exaltation of God. Notice the next bullet point. These antichrists leave the church taking many deceived people with them and or leaving behind great wreckage and confusion. That's the reason this letter was necessary. Many of these people had left, and believers were there wondering, did we miss it? Were we wrong? You see, look at the third bullet point. Our sovereign God even turns the evil work of false teachers to ultimately purify his church from false believers. 
So one of the graces of God as he works even with false teachers and through the work of that is that the church winds up being purified. I have to admit to you, I never really thought about that before this study. When I was studying for these messages and I was considering this and I was reading um, what the text says and reading what various other commentators said, there were two or three commentators that made that point. There were two or three commentators that said, you know, it's not all bad because the true believers are going to stick with the truth and the false believers are going to go follow teachers that give them what they want to hear and draw them away from the core of the truth. And that's not all bad. Genesis 50 verse 20 is that passage where Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And there's a lot of things in life about that. What was maybe done with an evil intent, God in his sovereignty and in his glory is saying, watch what I do even with those who sin against me, that I work my will. So notice the third one, or the fourth one there, those who oppose the faith simply abandon the faith or are not anchored in the faith, look what it says, what does it say there? Do not have real salvation. And it doesn't matter what they say. They may claim to have truth. They may say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. And so, I mean, there's been many, many people that through the years, you know, I've been somewhere and something and say, hey, does that guy know the Lord? And somebody goes, oh, yeah, he's a Christian. He's a Christian. And I get to know him a little bit, and you start finding out what they believe a little bit, and you're like, he's not a Christian. Oh, and you go back and you talk to your friend and say, you know, I kind of talked to him. He's, he's really not a Christian. Well, he said he was a Christian. You know, just because somebody claims to be a Christian doesn't mean that they're a Christian. What, what the reality is, not just what they say with their mouth, but the reality is, what do they think in their heart? What do they do in their life? That's what John is saying, saying to us. In fact, you may say all the right things, and yet your life still reveal that you do not know God. And so those who oppose, abandon, or are not anchored in the faith. And look, you can see these passages for yourself, and I would encourage you to do that. Maybe it's part of your quiet time this week. Go look up these passages. That's why they're here, and that's why you have a piece of paper with the notes on it, is so that this week this message can go with you. I would encourage you to consider deeply that reality. And that's what 1 John wants us to know. That's what he is saying to us. Number two, not only do antichrists depart, but they also deny. They deny the faith. And we see that in verse 22 and verse 23. It's right up there on the top. Look what it says. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Wow. Look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So Antichrist ultimately deny Jesus as Messiah. You see, first bullet point there, genuine saving faith is clearly marked by a right view of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. 
is a right view of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he's done, and his saving message. If you don't know who he is, if you don't know what he's done, and you don't know what he's called you to trust in and to believe his saving message, you cannot be saved. No one can be saved who is not trusting explicitly in the saving work of the Messiah in his sacrificial death and victorious what? Resurrection. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and you believe that he has been risen from the dead and your life begins to reflect that, then it's safe to say that this person knows God. But Antichrist don't believe that. Notice the next one here. Genuine salvation requires embracing Jesus as, fill it in, God's Messiah. And the Messiah is the anointed one, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. In fact, that's what John the Baptist would say. When John saw Jesus walking to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the sacrifice of God. So three years before he would go to the cross, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus is walking to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist says, everyone look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, if you don't believe that, your sins will not be taken away. That is the bottom line. This is God's plan of salvation. It was Jesus, not you, not your grandmother, not your church. It was Jesus. You see, so that's very offensive to God when you come up with something else. It's very offensive to God when you think that your good works are what's going to erase your sins or outweigh your sins. That's very offensive to God because what you're saying is is that your works, your discipline, your sacrifice, your virtues are equal to the innocent, perfect life of Jesus Christ that was given at Calvary. For your sins. Genuine salvation requires embracing Jesus as God's Messiah, and it will be evidenced by obedience to his teaching. So the evidence of your belief is whether or not you obey. Again, passage is there for you to look up this week. Notice the third one. Antichrist deny the Father and the Son by denying either one. That's what we see in this passage. If you deny the Father, you deny the Son. If you deny the Son, you deny the Father. Why? Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, I am here to show you the heart of God in in the flesh. I'm here to show you what love looks like as I lay down my life for you. You see, and that's no matter what people say. So a lot of people claim to know God. Um, But just because they claim to know God, if they do not understand the gospel, if they do not believe the gospel, it doesn't matter what they claim. That is the reality, and that's what 1 John wants us to see. So, number one, we said Antichrist depart from the fellowship. Number two, Antichrist deny the faith. Number three, Antichrist seek to deceive the faithful. That's what John is telling us. They seek to deceive the faithful. Look at verse 26. Let's read verse 26 out loud together. Are you ready? Don't make us do it twice. Everybody get ready. Clear your throat. Here we go. Verse 26. Let's read it. 
I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. They're here trying to deceive you. It's all around our culture, and it's sometimes right here in the life of the church. That there are some who come to oppose the gospel. You see, I've just put on here, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. And it's always been that way. And we have to come to grips with that. We have to realize it. See, the Bible is replete with this important warning. And we would do well to take heed. We need to take heed. Jesus, in Matthew 24, 24, declares that there will be those who come to deceive. They are going to come and they're going to ravage the church. And many are going to be, this is, this is I mean, Matthew 24 is a very important passage. You'll read that, the, the whole chapter, um, describing the end. But in John chapter 10, 1 Timothy chapter 4, warning after warning, and there's many other warnings about don't be carried away in false doctrine and the lies of Satan. You see, the greatest protection for, from false teaching is knowing God's word. That's why the Bible is so important. Those who do not know their Bible will be deceived. You will be carried away in false belief, in false doctrine, if you cannot evaluate doctrine, including the teaching that comes from this pulpit, from the Word of God. This is going to become more critical as time goes on. The, the Lord Jesus, as well as Daniel, and as well as Revelation, describes a massive deception that is going to come out to possibly even deceive, if possible, it says, the elect. And I, I believe in this present day and time, what we've just been talking about, all of the confusion that is in the world. I believe that there is a great falling away occurring among many, many churches who have just been subtly asleep in the culture. They don't even realize what the issues are. They don't even realize that the real issue is, is true, objective truth from the Word of God. Everything is relative. You know, we talk about, I think it was Oprah, I'm not sure who made, it, who made popular the idea of, you know, you, you need your truth, you know, my truth as if my truth is different from your truth. I'm sorry, but Miguel's truth is the same as Andrew's truth. And even if, he, even if he was not a believer, the picture is there's only one truth. Either something's true or it's not. There, there, there is no compatibility of falsehood with truth. That, that is just simply completely illogical. And so... And that is what the world is marching away from. And many churches have been marching away with that. It's just kind of up to you. It's whatever you think. We must be aware that this is how we subtly get pulled away into greater and greater deception to the point where many will go away and follow the beast. Many will go away and follow the Antichrist. Many will eventually, when the big deceiver comes, will say, oh, what a wonderful guy. Take his mark. 
He's for us. He's for us. And that is what 1 John is helping us recognize, is that there are many deceivers and they are, they are fueled by Satan because Satan is the original Antichrist, the one who is against God. And this is simply the way it is. And you know, God gets glory in all of this. God gets glory in our continuing to be steadfast by faith in Him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but with faith, it is possible to please God. And so trusting in Him in the midst of all of the falsehood, trusting in Him in the midst of our pain, trusting in Him in the midst of all of the deception of the world, when we remain true to Him, this brings Him glory. And so there's a purpose in this, and we must recognize that. Notice this as well, that Antichrist, um, excuse me, that they seek to deceive the faithful, and the greatest protection, here is the protection, how do you stay in the Word? You read it. You study it. How about this one? You live it. That means apply it. You, you know, you don't ever really believe something until you do it in many ways. Um, that's practice. And that, that was very important in the Jewish mind. The Jewish mind would often say, go ahead and do it, and then someday you'll believe it. Do what is right. Um, some people say, well, I don't want to do it if I don't believe it. Well, um, that's, that's not necessarily a healthy mindset. There are some things in which we just need to go ahead and start doing and looking and staying in the truth, and then we come to believe it. Memorizing God's Word is so very critical. Okay, so the characteristics of the Antichrist, and now let's look at the characteristics of true Christians. Characteristics of true Christians. And we see this, number one, true Christians are committed to the truth. They are committed to to the truth. Look at verse 20 in the box uh, on, the, on the top of the page, not the passage below, but look at verse 20 in the box on the page. Look, verse 20 says, but you, there's that contrast, you know, they went out, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. Who is that? That's God. It's the Holy Spirit. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So you know what to believe. You've heard the gospel. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Now that statement at the end, that axiomatic statement at the end of verse 21 is saying because no lie is of the truth. He's wanting to remind us you don't have to accept any error. You can be careful to believe only truth. And you should be careful to believe only truth. You don't have to accept any error. Because in God, there is no darkness. There is no lie. There is no falsehood. And that's what Satan does. He comes along and, you know, there's people who start listening to teaching. They go, well, you know, I don't quite agree with that, but I like everything else. I really like that when I, when I listen to him or I listen to her, I like the way I feel. Oh, my goodness, be careful. Well, you know, I just I pay not I don't pay attention to that part. I just pay attention to the parts that I like. My friends, that is one step of way. 
from total deception. I'm going to have eventually um, Mr. Mark to or Mike Todd, who's working on a PhD, and he's working on a PhD in, among other things, it's in the study of propaganda. It's very interesting. And for those of you who are students of his at the school, I, I'm going to just put him on the spot. Uh, you, you ought to ask him about that. He's learning some fascinating things as he studies how propaganda works, how propaganda is used, how the history of propaganda um, across human history. And one of the main things that he said is, if you tell, it's really true, if you tell people something enough times, they will believe it. One of the most powerful aspects of propaganda is repetition. You hear it enough from enough different angles and you keep hearing it, you keep hearing it, you keep hearing it. Eventually, you, you would start off and say, I will never believe that. That is false. You keep hearing it, eventually you believe it. You better be careful what you listen to. You better be careful the storylines that you watch. You better be careful about the entertainment that you allow your heart and your mind and your emotions to keep being submitted to show after show after show because eventually your guard is down and you go, oh, it's just the way it is. Satan is very crafty. He's very calculated. He knows what he's doing in this. And this is why you need the repetition of the truth of God in your heart, not the values of the world. Is this making sense? I hope this is making sense. This is very, very critical to us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is a powerful passage. Um, six verses here. I want you to see this. You see, true Christians are committed to the truth. They're committed to the truth. That's this one. Look at what happens with the Corinthian people in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry of the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Now, this ministry of the mercy of God, put above that the word, because that's what Paul is ultimately talking about, the ministry of the gospel, the word, the truth of who God is and what he's done. So having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced, uh, what does it say? Disgraceful and what? underhanded ways. You see, this was a problem for the Corinthians. That was coming into Corinth as well. Disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning. That means conniving, trying to, trying to figure it all out in order to deceive. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with what? God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He's saying, we are standing in the truth. We're not going anywhere else. And we commend our conscience before God. We have a clear conscience before God, and we want you to have a clear conscience that you're in the Word. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That means those who, those who are not saved do not understand it. But to those who are saved, they do understand it and they accept it. 
Notice this in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And you see, that's the problem of deceivers. They proclaim themselves. Read Jude. With ourselves as your servants for what? Christ's sake or Jesus' sake. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What you need is to see God's glory. That is becoming a worshiper, worshiper of God. So this whole point is the truth is what brings us to see God's glory, brings us to see who he is. And what is our central passage for this whole um, book is that in God, he, he is light and there is no darkness with him. And that's what happens when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They come to see that God is perfectly good. They come to trust in that. And God is glorified in that. So what's number one? Number one up there? True Christians are what? Committed to the truth. Number two, true Christians accept the faith. We see this in 20 and 21 and verse 27. We've just looked at 20 and 21 up there where it says, but you were anointed with the Holy One. You have this. Look down at verse 27. He says it again here. We see this picture of true Christians accept the faith. Look at verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him, what does it do? It abides in you. It remains in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. He's saying, you don't need to go look for other knowledge. You don't need to go look for something else outside of this. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Don't leave. Don't go away with the rest. Stay in him. Stay in his truth. Now, this is not saying that you don't need a pastor. This is not saying that you don't need a Sunday school teacher. That's not what is the the picture here. The picture here is that you don't need teachers that are diverging from what you have been taught. And that's what he says over and over again. You've already heard the truth. You have the truth. You hold on to the truth. Don't go out after other stuff. So the glorious nature of this is, look at the first bullet point here. False teachers teach you excuse me, false teachers teach that you need more than humble faith in the true gospel. That's what they do. You see, they add sensationalism. You know, you got to have a chill. You got to have a feeling. You got to have an emotion. You got to have, you know, just the senses. You know, if you didn't see it, if you didn't hear a voice, if you didn't, you know, you know, everybody around you has some testimony of some big, you know, sensational event or all of the worship services are centered around sensationalism, or the book that is promoting, that you're reading is promoting some type of um, higher experience of some sort, watch out. 
Watch out for trying to depend upon your senses more than you depend upon the truth and faith in the truth. It's very dangerous. Satan can deceive your senses. Everything can feel so dynamic and feel so moving, feel so warm, but yet be so wrong. You see, so they add sensationalism or they add asceticism. You know, that's the idea that, you know, it's some austere way in which you're going to prove your faith. And, you know, ascetics um, are, are constantly um, denying the flesh in a way that is harmful in order to perhaps um, root out um, some um, aspect of comfort in their lives. And to, that, that's, that's a wrong extreme. Legalism, that's a very popular deception that comes in. That was very popular in Jesus' day, all through even before in Old Testament life. What about mysticism? You know, that there's some mystical understanding, some higher understanding, some, some nebulous thing that we're drawn to. And we, we hear many mystical teachers, even within Christianity. Different movements of that have been a real problem for the last 2,000 years that draw people away from simple, humble faith in the gospel. What about intellectualism? I mean, the, the idea of total higher rationality that, that seeks to understand everything to a minute um, understanding that, that really is not intended by God in the gospel. You see, true Christians, right out there to the side, true Christians have humble faith in the true gospel. False teachers tell you that you need more than that. True Christians have humble faith in the true gospel. Now notice this. True Christians have the Word of God, fill these in, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, that's what we've just seen, the anointing from God's Spirit. They have the Word of God, they have the Spirit of God, and they have the people of God. Who is the people of God? The church. You're not intended to stay with Christ in a fallen world all by yourself. In fact, that would be a great indicator, as this verse says up here, that if you went out from the church, it would indicate that you do not, that you were not part of the church in the first place. So God's people, listen to this, very important, God's people stay with God's people. That's an important aspect and truly connected. That is the picture of God's design. You see, fill this in, these are what God uses. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God. This is what God uses to grow and guard our saving faith. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit seals us unto the day of redemption. Jesus says, if we remain in the truth, that we will be saved. And here we see over and over again that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we are to be with the people of God. This is how God grows your faith. This is how God guards your faith. So stay in the Word, stay connected to His Spirit, and stay connected to His people, and you will not be going off and taking the mark of the beast. You need to have no fear of that. Many people have said, well, I'm afraid. I, I could be deceived. I could be out there, and, and you know, all this is going to happen. And, and you're, you're right. We read it, and there's going to be a lot of difficult things come our way. And there are many who are even going to die for the sake of Christ. But you know what? I would rather die in a world that is lost and broken 
but come to life in the glorious salvation of Jesus Christ for eternity than to live at ease in this life. But we don't need to be fearful if we stay in the Word, stay in the Spirit, and stay with God's people. You will be safely seen through. This is what the Scripture clearly says, and we see it here in verse 25. Look what it says in verse 25. This is the promise that He has made to us, what? Eternal life. So, fill this in, number three, true Christians remain faithful. True Christians remain faithful. They're committed to truth, they accept the truth, and they remain faithful. See, John knows that true sheep can never fill it in. They can never lose their salvation. And one of the reasons I'm a Baptist is because I believe in the security of the believer. Baptists teach and believe the biblical doctrine that if you are truly saved, you will always be saved. Your salvation can never be lost. The question becomes, have you truly been saved? Because if you've truly been saved, you will never be lost. It is impossible for you to be lost. Jesus does not lose any of his children. He securely holds us in himself, even in our darkest moment, he, if we indeed are his, we will always be his. Well, John knows that. He knows that very well. But notice this. John also knows that true believers will persevere, fill that in, persevere in their sanctification, even through the difficult times, even through the hardships, even through the moments that are so very, very testing. We see the idea of testing. We see the idea of perseverance all through the New Testament, that this is part of God's plan to make us ready for heaven. He's glorified by our faith in the midst of our struggles. You see, fill this in, we abide, we remain, we abide with Christ through, fill it in, the tough stuff and become more like him. So it's when we go through the hardest times, that's when God is very often doing the most work in his true children. If you go through hard time after hard time after hard time and just become more and more bitter and more and more carnal and more and more turned against God, it proves you don't know him. But when you go through difficulty and hardship and it's really difficult and you're responding in a heart of faith before God and you're saying, Lord, I believe that you're good and you're right and you're just and you're true in all your ways and I'm just I just need your help and trust in you when you have the heart of that humility of faith before God when you go through hardship it is proving that you know God some people go through difficulty and just become bitter other people go through difficulty and become what better this is what God does. And it is hard, man. It's, it's hard. We have many people in our church that have gone through unimaginable suffering. Marcy and I sometimes marvel at things that many of you have endured. And we're moved that you stay with God. We're encouraged that you stay with God. That you still know that God is good. And like Job, some of you have gone through such difficulty and you've said, well, I've just learned that though he slay me, I'm still going to trust in him. That's what Job said. 
This brings glory to God. And it brings great blessing ultimately to us. Notice this with me. Remaining with Christ both proves our faith and His promise. It proves our faith and His promise. And what is that? Eternal life. He has good things for true Christians, for those who are His. Okay, so this passage says antichrists are coming. They are already here. They're amidst you. There are some who truly believe. There are some who don't. And some of you are saying, well, I, I'm concerned about this. I don't know if I truly believe. Could, could my faith be wrong? Could my faith be incomplete? Let me tell you that the Bible says it is very good that you ask that question. The Bible says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. The Bible says, a, a man who is willing to humble himself and evaluate himself is one who comes to know God. Notice this, questions for consideration and application. Number one, is it possible that you are confused about what true faith in Christ actually means? Is it possible that you're confused about that? And some of you are. I, I want to encourage you to run to the gospel. I want to encourage you to come and to speak with people here in the life of the church. I want to, every Sunday over on this side and over on this side, there are people here that are just waiting to talk to you about your relationship to God. And maybe, man, if something's burning in your heart, much more important than lunch and much more important than talking to anybody else is to make sure that you're right with God. Don't miss the moment. I want to encourage you. you. You can meet with pastors. You can meet with other women in the life of our church, men in the life of our church, and make sure that you work this out because this is more important than anything else in your life. Number two, is it possible that, similarly is number two, is it possible that cultural Christianity has been in place of true Christianity in your life? And if you're wondering what that means, come to starting point. I would love for you to come to starting point. I really deal with that issue of Many of you grew up around church, you grew up around Christians, you grew up, maybe even spent decades of your life in churches, but yet somehow you have subtly believed in cultural Christianity more than you have believed in the true message of the Bible. That is an epidemic within American churches. I've just said to you that there are many, many people who come to church Sunday after Sunday and don't truly know God. They're trusting in something besides Jesus Christ. That is a key issue for you to deal with. Number three, if you're a Christian, what can you do to guard against being deceived by antichrists or the antichrist in the future? I think that that would be a great discussion at lunch. I think that that would be a great discussion maybe at your family devotions. I think that that would be, maybe tonight before you guys go to bed, maybe you would sit and talk with your wife or sit and talk with your husband, sit and talk with your children. But how do we stay with Jesus? What do we do that brings us to stay with Jesus? How do we pray? What do we do with our week? What do we do with our days? So we are not those who go out and so prove that we are not with him. Amen? Let's stand together.